0: Welcome to this episode of the Montpelier Happy Hour here on WVEW LP Brattleboro 107.7 FM, your community radio station. I am your host, Olga Peters, and I have with me on the show today, regular contributor, Representative Emily Kornheiser, who is one of three representatives to the state for the town of Brattleboro, as well as Mike Fisher, who is the Vermont Chief Healthcare Advocate with Vermont Legal Aid. And welcome, Mike. Uh, We have, I think just saying your title alone tells people that we have a lot of meaty things to talk about because healthcare in Vermont is no small issue, especially during a pandemic. So, so glad you can be joining us today.
1: It's great to be here. I'm uh, looking forward to having a conversation about uh, just what's going on here in Vermont today.
0: Well, I would love to start with um, just a quick summary of your office, because I think a lot of people don't realize the breadth of what the Healthcare Advocates Office does, um, because it to me, it seems like it helps with people if they are experiencing a healthcare emergency and need an advocate. But there's also a number of informational materials on your website as well that can help people learn more about like healthcare and their taxes or health care and, and other needs they may
1: have. So um, first off, we're a position I'm a, a position and an office that's defined in state statute. Um, and then the state uh, put the contract out to bid and Vermont Legal Aid has had that contract since the late 90s when it was first formed. Um, So we have two sort of major overarching responsibilities. One of them is individual advocacy. And that is for Vermonters who are experiencing some kind of challenge getting the care they need. Often that's a conflict with their insurance company or Medicaid about whether it's going to cover what the kind of care they need. Um, Sometimes it's a conflict with the state around eligibility for state programs or the federal government for Medicare. often people are just tied up in the bureaucratic mess that happens between their insurance company and their provider when they're trying to get the care they need. And so people call us, and I'm gonna make the plug, they call us at our phone number, 800-917-7787. And I have this team of incredibly passionate advocates who are, on the phone you know available you know in in uh pretty much now um and um they uh go to, to work advocating for people who call us with the really complex problems that happen in in everyday lives and people are trying to get care
2: and i spend you know a decent amount of time referring constituents to various services around the state and I describe your office as magic makers. Like it's just problems seem to poof disappear once you, I don't wanna over promise, but it's really like, it's remarkable how good the work is that your office does because like just to cut right to the chase within large bureaucratic systems, but also communicate very effectively to the folks who are trying to understand what's happening to them. And that's um, being able to do both of those things simultaneously I think is a rare, a rare opportunity within our
1: state. You know, if you bump into a problem, I'll just like a a stupid bureaucratic problem, like maybe your birth date is listed differently with your insurance company than with your provider. Um, It can be really challenging to get them to get your right birth date. Um, And so, because we deal with these kinds of problems every day, um, we, we know the tricks of the trade. That now, that's not to say that We, it's not uncommon that people call us and say, hey, I need this care and I can't get covered for it and it's unfair. And unfortunately, the response too often is for us to say, you're right, it's not fair. Um, That's the rules of the insurance, you know, product that you have or Medicaid uh, policies. Uh, and the care is not available to you, or the care is going to be ex- out of out of range of expensive for you. Um, it, it's it's really common that people call us and say, "I just can't afford it." Mm-hmm. I, you know, uh, my plan gives me an out of pocket expense, uh, and the care that I need it just puts it out of range, and I don't know what to do. And those are heartbreaking calls. Those are heartbreaking calls.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Can I ask, do you? Um do you have a way of sort of saving all of those stories and problems mm-hmm. and then doing something with the um the sum of yeah. the challenges
1: yeah so we we are into data and record and code every single call uh in a you know of course a de-identified way um, and produce a report every quarter about all of the different issues and i'll just say generally about 25 percent of our calls are about eligibility um, um but and then we also attempt to you know the other half of our shop maybe this is a good opportunity to shift a little bit the other half of our shop is about um a sort of more systemic advocacy uh representing vermonters before the green mountain care board when they do something like an insurance rate review which by the way the green mountain care board is doing insurance rate reviews for the Vermont Health Connect plans right now, um, or when the Green Mountain Care Board is um, thinking about whether a hospital can add a wing or whether um, you know the hospital budget is right uh, or the um, Accountable Care Organization, One Care budget. Um, so we sit at the table and do our very best to speak on behalf of Vermonters in all of those proceedings, as well as in front of the legislature um, taking sort of the information that we learn, you know, f- from Vermonters and from our studying of the issues and bringing that as a consumer advocate to the state house to say, here are the changes we really think need to happen.
0: So what has COVID highlighted for, for you? You're working with so many private insurance companies, I can imagine, and yet we're in a public health crisis has has there been conflict has it worked smoothly like what's your experience been during covid
1: well so the the world has turned upside down um you know i don't think that we can i can underestimate uh, i can overstate how how much um has changed due to the coronavirus uh it it in many ways um, has pushed our healthcare system and our other systems um, uh, in an extreme way and um, so for instance hospitals make money by providing a whole you know uh, all of the care that they provide and in the middle of a of a pandemic when they really had to reorient themselves to providing uh, providing this special care this you know um, and reducing all of the elective surgeries and elective procedures that they were doing, um, because the provider system responded to the pandemic, they were put in financial stress, worse than financial stress. The hospitals reported that they were losing $100 million a month across the hospital system during uh, the, the worst of the pandemic. So because they were responding to the public health emergency, their financing, the financing system didn't work for providers. Wow. And by the same token, that same reduction in care uh, meant that insured that the payers were paying out less claims.
2: The payers, meaning the insurance companies, not it, the individuals.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yes. So uh, that's uh, sort of uh, just a little glimpse at sort of how our regular financing system. Got turned on and said because there's a healthcare crisis, um, people ended up, and because we we didn't have a New York City experience of of you know tremendous infections here, you know thank you very much we've done a great job but in part because we've done a great job, um, we've had this dynamic of tremendous stress on the provider community, and. Um, we're in the middle of insurance rate review. And so we're going to be arguing about this in the next couple of weeks. Um, but, uh, at least in during this time, um, it's been a pretty good time, pretty good couple of months for, uh, the major insurance companies.
2: Hmm. This is a little detail, but elective surgeries are not necessarily like, you know, plastic surgery and nose job, right? Like there can you, what, is you it, what exactly isn't it? Like it's not like a, elective. No, so it's like it's like you go out for like a fun surgery. Yeah, I can't imagine you. that's what it means.
1: It, it it's something you schedule.
2: Okay. And oh. so usually it's covered by insurance. Yes.
1: Great. Yes. So yeah. it's not it's not like, you know, I've I've had bad injury and I'm in the emergency department and I need to be treated. It's mm-hmm. it's um it might be the follow-up to that that you're going to schedule for the next couple of weeks to get something taken care of but it's um, no it's not a fun experience
2: it's more i have cancer and i'm scheduling having a body part removed perhaps
1: sure
0: okay yeah thank you
2: so we've talked a lot on this show over the last well i have no idea how many months we've been doing we've been talking about um COVID now mm-hmm. but over Forever that period another. we've um, had a sort of a consistent theme about the cracks that widen in the system and what we can see when those cracks widen and how you know we can see both sides of the Gulf we can see into the Gulf more clearly about where the challenges lie um, and how those affect mm-hmm. vermonters and I wondered if you could sort of get a little more explicit about that.
1: Well so I think that it when the healthcare Realm. I think that the legislature jumped quickly and and I think uh, very appropriately uh, to loosen some of the pathways to help people get care and that, you know, for instance, to waive um, copays for uh, certain types of care, mostly covid related care, but also some prescription drug needs um, just to open the door wider to make sure that people could get uh, have an easier path to getting the care they need. I, I have a real-
2: expanded, Did we also expand the um, eligibility for um, the exchange? Meaning you didn't have to prove it, you didn't have to have as much verification?
1: Yeah, so we, that- we um, well, let me get to that. Okay. Yeah. Take yes, your we, time getting there, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, um, well, the uh, Vermont Health Connect usually has an open enrollment period and, um, Uh, You know, from November 15th to um, uh, through the end of the year, you know, for a month and a half is when people can buy insurance. Um, Other than and, and always when people have a change in life where they, you know, they get married or divorced or have a baby or move or get a new job, those kinds of things, they have a special enrollment period um during this time we had the state had the fed gave us permission and the state has taken advantage of that to have a covid related open enrollment period so anybody who's uninsured right now and wants to be insured has the opportunity to sign up i'm going to throw in if they can afford it okay i wouldn't want to say you have an option to do something that you just can't fit into your
2: no budget. it's not an option
1: yes mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah um the other thing that the legislature did was uh um, make really important decisions about the flow of the corona relief fund monies and um, uh, and from my perspective appropriately recognized the tremendous stress that the provider community was under and um, directed a substantial amount of money uh, over 300 million dollars to um, to to the provider community uh, the the administration has, a tremendous task in front of it right now to get those monies out the door. Uh, That's a place that uh, I have some concern about because it's easier said than done. Uh, These monies have to be spent before the end of the year or we lose them. And
3: I'm
2: really curious about that because in most of the other categories of the COVID relief funds, we were much more prescriptive with what the sort of sub buckets were. Hmm. Um, And I know with this, 300 something million dollars, Um, while there was conversation about health disparities and adult day programs and um, EMS and primary care, small primary care providers and hospital systems, we actually just handed a big bucket over to the administration. And so I'm really curious from you where you think that's going to go and where you think it should go.
1: Well, I advocated for more of it to go to Vermonters. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to Me Vermont too. yeah to Vermonters who <laughs> were having a hard time getting the health care they needed um, mm-hmm. because they would lost tremendous income I you know it's, it's worth just r- reminding ourselves um, where Vermont families are under under an economic stress that we we haven't seen before um, you know an unemployment rate of, of uh, 12.7% um, for May mm-hmm. um, You know, that's 43,700 Vermonters. That's uh, about the size of Wyndham County, Mm -hmm. by the way, Mm -hmm. um, being unemployed. And and while there's been some extra, you know, federal money to support those families uh, during this time, that runs out uh, very soon. And um, on top of that, um, you know, uh, some costs have gone up. Costs of food have gone up. Um, Vermont families are under a particular amount of stress at this moment. And um, I say that sort of in in reference to this proposed increase in health insurance costs that um, uh, presents a tremendous challenge for, particularly for Vermont families and businesses, by the way, as well as for our health regulator, the Green Mountain Care Board, how do you balance out the costs of providing care with the prescription that that the rates be affordable?
2: Because we know they haven't been affordable for quite a while.
1: From my perspective, there's a a broad swath of Vermont families for whom there are not affordable private health insurance rates.
0: yeah, I think a lot of people tend to find that maybe they can afford their premiums, but they can't necessarily afford their prescriptions and and the diagnostic tests and the co and the doctor visits. So you have insurance, but you can't necessarily use it, I think a
1: lot of Vermont families find. Right, and so that... Many Vermonters are out there today thinking that they have good insurance uh, because they haven't had to use it. Mm-hmm. And so they may know on some level that they have a 10 or a fifteen thousand dollar deductible um, but they're healthy and they're going about their lives and things are okay it's not until you're you know you're in the worst days of your life because your kiddo has been just diagnosed with something uh, or been in a horrible accident when you realize that on top of all of the stress of implied by what i just said um you also don't know how you're going to pay for it
2: When the care board has a conversation and the word affordable is part of the conversation,
1: mm.
2: what do they mean
1: by it? That's a really good question. Mm-hmm. So, so the insurers often argue that it's affordable because it, it uh, is the right rate for the, uh, for the value of the plan. In other words, you're getting what you pay for. What does that mean? So by that logic, um, a Ferrari is affordable.
2: Ah, okay. Yeah,
1: because it has that value, and it's and and we're charging the right value for what it is. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, as a consumer advocate, I consider affordability to be a consumer facing. You know, can this bill fit into this family's into Vermont families' budgets? And so when I look at affordability, I have to look at income along with the expenses of food and housing and heat um, and to see whether the insurance rates, you know, fit within those families' budgets. That's a in very other places,
2: different- I'm sorry, other places in our system, when we use the word affordable, such as affordable housing, mm-hmm. that has a technical definition that's related to a family's income. But in this case, it's not.
1: Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so you're right. It, even the affordable housing, you know, the one third of your budget. I mean, it's nothing. Yeah. It is a blunt instrument, but at least mm-hmm. it is um, it, it recognizes the family's budget when you mm-hmm. use the word affordable.
0: We have just about five minutes before we need to go to break. So uh, this is all a wonderful conversation. But Mike, what do you want, just before we go to break, what do you want to leave people with as far as where healthcare is in Vermont right
1: now? So just because we've just been talking about this term affordability and insurance rates, um, the Green Mountain Care Board is required to take comments from Vermonters. And so, um, so this year, um, Blue Cross is asking for a uh, 6.3% rate increase and MVP is asking for a 7.3 percent rate increase and um and I really think it's important for Vermonters to tell the Green Mountain Care Board about the affordability challenges that they have in getting care there's nothing like 500 stories coming to them about just putting it in the context of what families lives are really like um so I think um you know people can Go direct, directly to the Green Mountain Care Board webpage. We also have provided um, sort of comment links to help people get to it. I, I I hope I'm hopeful that we can get those links up on um, um, you know both Emily's Facebook page, um, wherever we where should people look for those links.
2: So we're, um, if you could name the link, if you could sort of say the URL, and then yeah. we will um, ask BCTV to put it up here, um, scrolling across right now. Thank you, mm-hmm. BCTV for that technical yeah. assistance. And um, I'll make sure to add it in a comment anywhere that we post this on social media, whether that's Instagram or Facebook. or.
3: Um, mm-hmm.
1: yeah. yeah, so we have a link that's called sub- Submit a Public Comment. It's a it's a www.bit.ly slash submit a public comment. Okay, Um hey. And um, I also wanna say that it, it's not hard if people um, don't have a pen and they you know, are just um, not taking notes or anything, um, it's not hard to go to the Green Mountain Care Board webpage. If you search for Green Mountain Care Board, Vermont, uh, submit a public comment is pretty prominent on their page as well.
3: Great.
0: Thanks. Fantastic. And when do they have, when's the deadline for submitting comments?
1: Oh, that's a good question. Um, um,
2: I find that often when we give people deadlines that are more than a few days in advance, they put things off and don't do them. I know that's true for me. So let's just say that the deadline is two days from when you hear us say this.
1: Yes, it, it's really, it, the sooner the better is the right answer. I agree. Emily, um, and uh, you know the hearings are the uh, the twenty uh, the twentieth and the twenty first, so just a week and a half away, and uh, the comment period ends pretty close to there. Thank you.
0: If you're just tuning in, this is the Montpelier Happy Hour here on WVEW-LP, Brattleboro, one hundred seven point seven FM your community radio station. I'm your host Olga Peters and representative Emily Kornheiser and Mike Fisher, the Ch- Vermont Chief Healthcare Advocate. We'll, we will all return after the break. So stay- Kill your happy hour here on WBEW, LP Brattleboro, 107.7 FM, your community radio station. I'm your host, Olga Peters, and you you are just joining us. I'm speaking with Representative Emily Kornheiser, who is one of three representatives for the town of Brattleboro to the State House, as well as Mike Fisher, who is Vermont's chief health care advocate uh, with Vermont Legal Aid. And we are talking, as you can guess, healthcare and COVID. And where is all the money that we just got for the COVID relief funds from the federal government with healthcare, where is that going? I think I heard a rumor that there's like $300 million, which sounds like a lot, but when it comes to healthcare, it goes really fast.
1: Um, so, <laughs> so yes, a substantial amount of money um, got appropriated by the legislature to um, to to be put out in grants to Vermont healthcare providers to provide um, relief for the lost income that um, that Vermont providers have experienced. And um, you know, imagine you're a you know a dentist um, and you um, suddenly have to close up shop. Um, you know, how do you make it through this time? Um, and so I think that you know I just I just sort of played my hand a little bit. I think that there are some you know some very large healthcare institutions in our state, UVM in particular, um, but all of the hospitals that we absolutely need to make sure um, uh, make it through this crisis, that they that they're financially viable. But we also have hundreds and hundreds of small providers. Um, and they might be dentists and they might be primary care docs and they might be many other types of providers um, who are particularly exposed they're small businesses and um, they don't have an association working for them in the same way uh, in the state house um, and so and that, it's that, i
2: just to make sure that people um i don't know if everyone mm-hmm. loves their dentist as much as i love my dentist mm-hmm and so um want to make sure that people understand that we can't spare any dentists or primary care doctors in this state we have a pretty serious both dental and primary care doctor shortage Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Um, and so losing just one means that there will be a lot of people who um, are already struggling to find a provider who um, have even less of a chance of finding a provider
1: yeah to, to that point before the COVID crisis um, we have all been very, very worried about the age of our workforce in in many of these fields, and the numbers of people of dentists and of primary care docs and and uh, and nurses who are on the who are ready to retire, um, and the flow of doctors coming into of of providers to come into uh, to fill those positions. So you put COVID on top of that, and um, You know, I I think we have many of us have a real concern that there won't be a provider network uh, as good a provider network uh, if we don't really make sure that they that they are rescued financially. Interesting. So so when you ask, where's the money going to going to go to? uh, We've asked the administration that the the legislature asked the administration to um, to create a application process for providers to apply to. Uh, my understanding is that it's in the next couple of days that that's mm-hmm. going to be opened up. It's it's imminent, um, and uh, I'm going to be watching that flow of money, particularly around um, making sure you know with the value of making sure that it's going somewhat proportionally to uh, to the various types of providers that there are out there. Um, it's not enough money. Um, you know, we just said, and you know, I said earlier that it, that the hospital systems lost something in the range of a hundred million dollars a month. Um, we've been at this for four months. That's just the hospitals. Hospitals represent, you know, 35 or 40 percent of our healthcare system. There's a lot of healthcare that happens outside of hospitals, so um, there's just a bit of an, an expression of. Uh, how much more need there is than the monies that the federal government made available to to the state.
2: And then in terms of the hospital systems and um, rural healthcare and our small hospitals versus our big hospital systems, how does that play out when, you know, if people are thinking about Brattleboro Memorial Hospital or Springfield Hospital down here, how how will this affect what I've understood as sort of an increasing consolidation in hospital systems?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I think um, you know the the pattern has been for hospitals to consolidate, um, and uh, you know you you guys live in a community where um, the challenges of hospital financing has been acute. Uh, again, before the COVID virus, um, and so I, I don't know exactly what to say other than, than I yeah. think you've just spoken to a real concern.
3: Okay.
1: Um, you know, is this going to push more independent providers and more small hospitals to become part of larger systems? It might.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and while I have a value, a personal value that is in uh, counter to that, I also, I get it. You gotta survive. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, the economic pressures of today might force the hands of many providers.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: We've already had one primary care practice in our community um, close slash join the hospital system in the last month or two.
1: Yeah. And some of that has to do with providers that want a paycheck. That, yeah. You know, they that, that want dependable income. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, I, I certainly understand those pressures. I, I absolutely do too.
2: So,
0: given that we have a, a limited pot of money, to To support, uh, the healthcare system post COVID or dur-
1: still actually kind of during COVID. Let's face it. Um, well, let's talk you, about you, that for a minute. Yeah, I, I, you know, you know, we, we are in this uh, this uh, pandemic. We are in this healthcare crisis for a long haul. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, you know, sort of recent discussion. I've had recent discussions with uh, Vermont, you know, major hospitals to understand sort of the flow of money and patients you know are, are people getting access to the care they need um, and while there's been some real improvements in the last couple of weeks of people getting into the to get the procedures to get the care they need um, there's also a lot of vermonters who uh, rightly or not you know, made the decision that they just don't feel safe uh, going in to get to get the care that they're that they're uh, providers have recommended,
3: mm-hmm. and
1: so we're still in it, and mm-hmm. um, we're going to be in it for for some time. Let me put it that way. It, you know, there's there's no sort of imminent change coming at us, particularly given uh, what's happening around the country.
0: Well, that's kind of what I'm having a hard time getting my head around. <clears throat> Excuse me, mm-hmm. is you know we have this big need we have this influx of money and yet this money seems not enough to meet the need Mm -hmm. and it needs to be spent by the end of the year. So is this actually, is this helping or should we be doing something different with this money? Like what's the best way forward? So we have resilience and not just survival.
3: What can I
2: add to that question? mm -hmm. Um, One thing that came up very early on in the pandemic is, all of the providers around the state that provide fee-for-service. And that in these times, um, often people need to reduce the services they're providing because they can't provide in-person services or the fee-for-service um, is you, you know receive less funding if you're um, doing something virtually rather than in-person services. And so some of that sort of sh- we put some attention to restructuring those systems in order to keep those um, mm-hmm. providers still viable. But I, I'm i curious as sort of part of your answer, yeah, what else we could do in terms of restructuring?
1: Well, so let's talk about telemedicine for just a second. Um, you know, telemedicine uh, took a giant step forward in the middle of this pandemic. And, um, and that's, I think, been a, an important, uh, an important tool for providers and for Vermont consumers to be able to get to to the doctor um, but um, its sort of the question before us and the legislature made some decisions about the flow of monies for those proceeds for those visits um, um, during this time um, as well as the federal government made some decisions around um, uh, sort of opening opening this this flow of traffic up, uh, so all good stuff in the middle of a pandemic. Um, you, you know, fr- as a as a healthcare advocate who, who is focused on quality um, you know, I know that people get better in relationship with their providers.
3: Mm-hmm. And
1: I am um, sure that people can have important, uh, uh, people who have good relationships with their providers can receive good care over a telemedicine interface. Um, I also, this is my own personal value, I also believe in in person uh, contact is important. Yeah. And so um, I get worried that we're moving into a world where people will no longer see their doctor. Um, and I'm talking post pandemic, I'm talking years out. Um, <clears throat> you know, it's, there's this image that gets evoked for me of you know a, a, a little kiosk that sits on mm-hmm. the street and you're visiting with you you know your doctor who's in you know milwaukee or something i don't know mm-hmm. um and uh that's just not the image of of ongoing care that i think is curative is what helps people be better
2: no but there's a real financial incentive towards that yeah um for the insurance companies
1: yeah mm-hmm. But having expressed that concern, I, you know, telemedicine is a really important tool uh, probably at all times, um, but particularly right now to uh, both from the consumer side and from the provider side, as as long as there's choice.
2: Mm -hmm. So you said something, sorry, Olga. Oh, um, no, go ahead. Something earlier on about the idea of us providing um, needing to provide a public health response
3: mm.
2: within a private healthcare system. Yeah. And um, well, when I think about widening about... cracks, that seems like the yeah. widest of the cracks yeah. here.
1: So let's talk about testing for a minute. So today, um, our public health agency, the Vermont Department of Health, is uh, doing a, an incredible amount of work and an incredible job of um both doing the contact tracing um, you know key to us um, um, doing our best to, to not have a, a new widespread spread of the virus here uh, as well as providing for testing for people who don't have symptoms and who don't have um, a doctor's uh, recommendation that they get tested and um, <clears throat> So that's a public health response. Um, we have real concerns about whether that can be maintained, and as we consider doing things like opening up schools to in-person, in-person schooling, um, let alone all the offices and all the other you know uh, opening that uh, I think needs to come and will come, um, a, a vibrant, available testing opportunity needs to be there. It, it has to be a part mm-hmm. of um, of what keeps us safe. And um, we need a system to do that. That's a, that's a whole, it's a public health need. And it's not reasonable to say, oh, the Department of Health is doing it and it can do it. And when you ask the healthcare system, like let's say we say, okay, Brattleboro Memorial Hospital or Springfield or UVM for that matter, we want you to make testing available to anybody who asks for it. You have dynamics where you have provide uh, um, employers who say, "Hey, I want you to be tested every," mm-hmm. day. or, um, or that kind of thing. And there's no doctor saying it's a different kind of healthcare. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a public health healthcare, not an individual health healthcare. And so, you know, should insurance rates cover the cost of those care, the those tests? Um, These are tough questions. Um, And that's before there's a vaccine. Mm
3: -hmm. Um, Hopefully, (laughs) (laughs) um,
1: we're gonna have a vaccine. And Mm -hmm. hopefully it's gonna be uh, uh, something, uh, hopefully we're gonna have a vaccine. We're gonna need Mm -hmm. to get it out to everyone. Mm -hmm. Who should pay for that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would argue that's a public health need. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's Mm -hmm. it's, It's just as important for me that you get it as it is that I get it. We all mm-hmm. need to get it. And um, so that's a, a, a big um, public fi- financing challenge, honestly. We don't have a mechanism to do that. We don't, we don't know exactly how to do that.
2: And other vaccines are available at the Department of Health free of charge, but most people go through their doctors and their insurance gets billed for it.
1: Well, Vermont has an interesting public financing for vaccines. Hmm. And I think we're an anomaly. I don't know of another state that does this, but we bulk purchase vaccines uh, today. I'm not talking about COVID. I'm talking about mm-hmm. flu and no. childhood immunizations. Um, and um, and we we finance that with various taxing mechanisms. Um, and then um, that gets delivered, you know, at the drugstore or at the mm-hmm. at your primary care doc uh, or pediatrician. Uh, so that may be a model for uh, vaccines, a little bit simpler than testing.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, oh, it's,
2: it's interesting in my office, as we um, are drafting reopening guidance
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, at sort of once we're really doing a lot of client contact, want yeah. to recommend that staff get tested every two weeks. Yeah. And so we're sitting with, well, we certainly can't ask staff to pay for that, that would be ridiculous. Um, Mm -hmm. and so we send them, you know, here's the department of health. They're coming once a week with the pop-up site. Can you sign up far enough in advance as many more employers are sort of going through that portal, it's already filling up, um, long before we hit the Wednesday. Um, and so absolutely. I agree. It's very complicated. And what I found also is that a lot of Vermonters don't seem to know that's even available and are going to urgent care and paying for the test. Um, and then there's this mix of different tests that people are receiving, and they don't seem to have consistent results. Um, yeah.
1: yeah. You know, another West. public health angle, uh, we were talking about independent providers not long ago um, and the financial pressures on them. Um, they uh, my understanding, and I don't know enough about this, but my understanding is that the purchases, purchasing of masks and other protective equipment um, the hospital system is is done uh, on a, a higher level, UVM plays a key role in that. Um, but if you're an independent uh, dentist, um, you're out there bidding against every other dentist and and primary care independent provider out there uh, to buy your masks and um, and equipment.
2: And that's and, every provider in the country, right? It's yeah. not just you're bidding against other Vermonters. Yeah.
1: Okay. And so, so that's been a real stressor, I, I believe, for providers um, and my understanding is that the state has taken a step forward in uh, doing a bulk purchasing of PPE equipment. Um, uh, for, uh, for broader providers so that's a again it's a an example of um, A broad based answer. Uh, you know, a public health like response. Uh, instead of leaving everybody out for themselves.
2: So when I think about Vermont and public health and leaving everyone out for themselves, um, I think about the promise um, of single payer. Mm. And um, I know that you were used to um, be in the House of Representatives and were vice chair and chair of the healthcare committee through that time. And so I'm curious when you think about the difference between then and now, I certainly have my own ideas on this and the increased cost of healthcare, and perhaps a public will mm. around all of those things. I'm curious about, you know, yeah. how would things be different if we had actually realized the promise of single-payer? What opportunities are available to us now Yeah, wide open?
1: Well, I think the first thing to do is to phrase it in the context of the virus. Mm -hmm. um we need a healthcare financing system that can provide care for vermonters during a public health emergency Mm
3: -hmm.
1: and that's not harmed that's designed to work um for vermonters uh and for vermont and that means for vermont providers too Mm -hmm. um you know there's been this uh uh, some people have expressed well the all-payer model um you know run through one care one, one aspect of it a, a key aspect of it is uh, prospective payments in other words we're going to give your provider a certain amount of money that's on average what it costs to, to care for you and there's this whole risk uh, aspect of that to change the incentives for the provider but not, not let's not focus on that for a second just the perspective payment part um, those prospective payments were really valuable to providers during the pandemic. Um, My response is that's not enough. Mm -hmm. If we want providers to be able to provide the care that's important for the community, um, we need to do something more like global budgets for them. Mm -hmm. In other words, this is what it costs to run Brattleboro Memorial Hospital, given the needs of the people in the community. And we're going to measure you and test you and hold your feet to the fire for quality more than they want to be <laughs> from <laughs> my perspective.
3: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: but um, but we all know that everybody in in Brattleboro you know people need a place to deliver babies. people need mm-hmm. a place to go when they have cut their finger real bad um, and um, so um, that's people need up. a place to go when they've overdosed. Mm-hmm. Yes, people need a place to go when they need whatever the care is that they need yeah. and um, if we want a provider, system to you know be vibrant and and continue through a crisis like this i i I really think and i've always felt honestly that we need to move to that kind of a financing system now i didn't say a a word about how we collect the money in that description just about how we uh, uh, dole it out to the providers on our behalf um but that's you know that's really the how we collect the money is where we fell down last time Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and um, you know I think that there are there are many we fell that last time with the Obama administration mm-hmm. um, and um, and with governor Shumlin uh, previous governor and um, and so uh, you know I can't help but say you know wow we need a different kind of partnership on the federal level in particular um, <laughs> in order to be able to even entertain doing this
3: mm-hmm.
1: uh, it's there's nothing simple about it it's a it's a very complex uh, um, flow of money from very from it's the, the concept of single-payer is a misnomer mm-hmm.
3: There's
1: nothing single about it um, um, but uh, especially for a state doing it on its own mm-hmm. but um, but uh, the need is tremendous and you know again going back to the uh, the baseline pressure on Vermont families, um, I don't have a doubt in the world, I know from story after story that lot, many, many Vermonters don't get uh, preventative uh, and ongoing um, maintenance care, you know, uh, uh, care for chronic conditions because they can't afford it. And, and I that think results I'm... in worse outcomes and, and higher expenses.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes, um, and definitely another, that I think we've woven through most of the episodes that we've had lately is that spending money earlier on in a challenge is often um, less expensive as well as better for everyone. I think it's also worth naming that between when we first started a conversation about single payer universal healthcare, whatever you wanna call it in Vermont, and now individuals and businesses are spending significantly more money than they were then. Um, and so when we think about funding mechanisms, I have some hope that there's more individual will towards that um, or perhaps even um, a greater um, mm-hmm. willingness around people's budgets because of how much is already going out of pocket from each Vermonter compared to um, yeah. even five years ago.
1: You know, the challenge, Emily, is that if, you know, this, these are numbers from a couple of years ago, yeah, but if if we say okay, we need an eleven and a half percent payroll tax mm-hmm. to finance this, yeah. many businesses hear that and say, "Wow, that's a great deal. I'm paying way more than that today." Mm-hmm. And many businesses hear that and say, "You put me out of business because I'm yeah. not paying anything for it today." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so there's the rub.
2: There is the rub, and it's the rub of the like you know being in a state that's. F- f- filled with micro-businesses, not even small businesses, who really don't have the capacity to provide benefits to their employees, but that's the sort of economic system that we have constructed here, and in some ways really, you know, pride ourselves on
0: it. Mm -hmm. We are just about out of time, so any last minute thoughts you want to leave the uh, listeners with, Mike?
1: So I want to fall back to the very first thing I said. Um, we've been talking a lot about theory and about where we should be going, and um, and I just want to remember that um, I know that there are listeners who are facing challenges today, and uh, and may need uh, uh, some support, an advocate to help them get through whatever it is that's challenging them today, um, be it um, being it, you know, figuring out what kind of health insurance to buy or. Um, um, how to afford the care they need. Um, and so uh, I just want to say again out loud uh, uh, the healthcare advocates help helpline number and uh, to let you know that we're here to support you. And that's 800 917 7787. And um, my advocates are um, always psyched to make things work if they can on behalf of Vermonters. So thank you. Feel free to give us a call.
0: And Emily, where can folks reach out to you if they have questions or concerns?
2: EmilyKornheiser.org, ecornheiser at gmail.com, ecornheiser at You can find me on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And I hope someday soon to be able to run into you on the sidewalk the way I used to.
0: Thank you, Emily Kornheiser. Thank you, Mike Fisher. Thank you, listeners. The Montpelier Happy Hour will be back next week at 2 p.m. on WVEW LP Brattleboro, 107.7 FM. In the meantime, you can always find us on BCTV, Emily's YouTube channel, or our Vermontitude SoundCloud page or our Vermontitude Facebook page. Have a great weekend, everyone.